Good morning. This is Lance Kenmore with the Kenmore team, and I'd like to welcome you to this week's edition of the Tri-Cities Real Estate Update. As always, you can contact me, Lance Kenmore, anytime direct on my cell phone at 727-8977, or visit us on the web at kenmoreteam.com. Once again, I always like to thank John for hosting and everybody here at the station for working to make this happen. Mr. John McKay, how you doing over there? Well, we're getting a little bit warmer weather. Well, 46 today, 50 tomorrow. But how have you guys been, how have you handled, I'm going to call it Snowmageddon. Yeah, it, it, it's a mini, it's a mini Snowmageddon, if I can believe them that it's going to be 55 tomorrow, which they say. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to go from white to brown in 12 hours. Well, <laughs> so. we want it gradual so we don't get flooded. Absolutely. That's that's what I was saying earlier in the week when I was looking at that report. Well, man, we have handled it almost, I mean, minus a couple little things we have handled it like it was almost nothing mm-hmm. i mean you would think like that the market would have been much slower but um it's it's gonna be the topic today because it has been so intensely competitive mm-hmm. um the real estate market landscape so the title of the show what i just kept hearing again and again today we're going to talk about managing buyer expectations in multiple offer situations. And Mm. so a lot of times people are like, oh man, it snowed and maybe the market slowed down a little bit. Uh, Based upon the number of offers on properties, (laughs) no, the market, it it did not slow down. So, well, what what does that mean exactly, Lance? And so uh, before we jump into those, I I brought some stats. Our final Tri-City Association of Realtors January stats report was out this week. So I've got some great numbers to report from that. Um, before we do that, though, we always like to kick off with our crazy celebrity national real estate story. Mm-hmm. And um, this week, what I came across on Realtor.com was an interesting multi-use property. Hmm. And so it's very, very interesting. And what it was, was it was a schoolhouse that was then turned into a wedding venue Hmm. um, and now is back on the market as a residence. And so it's an 8,000 square foot building on the market for $1.1 million dollars. Um, and this is in Florida, Malabar, Florida. Hmm. So interesting when you look at multi-use properties like that and why they would sell. Must have been a bit of a smaller school. Well, yeah, it was. It was because the building um, was originally built back in the 1920s. Okay. Um, so it had a lot of charm. The current owners, got, they did a great job turning it into a wedding venue. But we've seen stuff like this happen. Here they were chugging along. Things were going great. But um, what happened to weddings over the course of the last 12 months? Yeah. So you've got a facility that was probably bringing in a significant amount of income for the current owners. Then you, you go along. You have the last year that we've had. Maybe they were getting close to retirement. Maybe they were looking for a life change. John and I were talking about these type of 
COVID, you know, stresses and mm-hmm. the echo effect Ripples. of some of those policies that have gone into place. And here's one where that could just push somebody over the edge to say, you know, it's I'm not, done. It's I'm done. It's not easy running a wedding venue. I mean, talk about a high stress situation, you know, Bridezillas. house sales and bridezillas at the same time. Yeah. So it's one of those situations where you look at people selling and, and so the highest and best use for that property now might not be a wedding venue. And they're really marketing it because it's zoned residential also, dual zoning on that one. Sounds like the price is a little on the low side, too, because I would imagine it's going to be hard to find comps. Yeah, a- absolutely. And so what so what you have happening there is um, pushing the residential side um, because the de- the demand there is higher. So fun little property to go to. You can go to realtor.com. Check that check that out. Um, you can search schoolhouse turned winning wedding venue needs a buyer. So great, great <laughs> little article under unique, unique homes there. Now we always like to temper that with a real estate related um, local story, but I've actually got a real estate related national story that mm-hmm. has some implications to our local area and the Northwest in general. And and this is coming. Um, this is coming out of. I pulled this out of Inman News. So that's a real estate news article. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they have a ranking each year, and it is called powerhouse cities. So where do influential people want to live and work? Now the pandemic was caused a lot of that to happen for in fact this ranked the top 10 cities last year san francisco was on the list they didn't even make the list in 2021 Hmm. didn't even make the list based upon the criteria that they're using for for these rankings so what are some of the top 10 u.s powerhouse cities now a lot of this is related to they consider job growth and industry creation mm-hmm. as some of the top criteria that they that they use for this um, coming on the list many people familiar with Ogden Utah making the list so that's mm. like a mountain city about 40 miles outside of Salt Lake mm-hmm. in fact I was there probably two months ago we we went down for um, a hockey tournament mm-hmm. and you know, this does not surprise me to see this now. Beautiful city, lots of building going on, lots of industry there. And the big thing that you see as part of this report is between 2014 and 2019 in Ogden. This is why when I drove around, I saw that building. Jobs grew by 16.6%. That's good. And wages, though, in the same period, increased 34 percent huge in in ogden so huge huge increase that you start to get people looking at that 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 makes it very very powerful another city making the list that we're super familiar with around here boise idaho i was just gonna say yeah yeah it is on the list so it moved up on the list from seventh place to sixth place job growth there has been 22 percent 2014 to 2019 and freaking wages there 40.8 percent increase in that city in the last five years 
And, and yeah, not surprised. Uh, beautiful downtown area. Revitalization has happened there. If you have, ever go there, go to Freak Alley. Yeah, I mean, there are it so... It is incredible artwork. The artwork there that you have. Oh, my gosh. We ate at a restaurant there called Fork that was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, their downtown corridor is just super clean. It well is the cleanest done. large city I have ever seen. Uh, yeah, I, you know, so you look at... You, you have an experience like that. You and I have both had that same experience down, down there. And it's it's a wonder. It's not a wonder that they made this list. So Boise na- nailing it again on the list there. Um, Salt Lake, um, same type of thing. Not quite as high as wage growth, but 15% job growth and 36% wage growth. So um, really cool to kind of look at that list and then see like, the power of job growth, the power of where people are choosing to live and work, um, really a massive shift happening in our in our nation with with some of that with some of that right now, and we've been the benefit of it here in the Tri Cities. Um, our proximity to Portland and Seattle, we're not immune for the same reason those cities are seeing growth. Um, we are seeing and writing and selling a lot of houses to people making those moves from some of those large metro areas um, to the east side, like, like Tri-Cities. Mm-hmm. So what does that do? Um, well, that puts our inventory in a very low, low <laughs> position. Uh, some stats coming out of the Tri-City Association of Realtors to give you an idea of the current market and and what's and what's happening um last month january 317 homes sold here's the thing that's the kicker that we just talked about that number is up from 2020 um so in 2020 it was only 308 and now mind Mm -hmm. you that was pre-pandemic and um and so we were having a very very healthy start to the year and this year even healthier than that so 317 homes sold in January. Active residential listings at the time of running this report. Um, mind you, in January 2020, we had those sales with 464 listings on the market. Um, 241. Wow. The paper in my hand just spontaneously combusted. <laughs> um, because because th- that is a market that is just incredibly on fire less than one you know less than one month supply of homes wow um and so that's when lance does a topic for his radio show and that is managing buyer expectations for multiple offers well didn't you say one of them had 17 offers yeah yeah 17 offers on on a property um that you know that we were helping clients navigate that process talk about what they should be doing and and there's a lot to talk about. Real quick, few more, um, few more very quick stats coming out of the January report. Average sold price. Here's the kicker: 2020 that was running 312,000. Average sold price this January: 353,000. Wow, 33. Uh, and days on the market. The difference that we're seeing last January: days on the market 42. Average days on the market for the entire market. 25 days on the market, folks. That is an extreme, extremely quick moving market. Um, a frenzy, many, many would say, with what's going on there. So 
one of the things I like to do is I like to take those I like to take those stories and how they apply to our local market and you can see how we had a national story looking at trends and then real life moving that into our stats with what's happening in the in the Tri-Cities market and so one of the things we have happening is we have buyers coming to us that say we're moving here and we need a house to live in we don't have the luxury of waiting maybe there's going to be more inventory in April and May, you know, usually inventory increases there, but at the pace we're running at sales are also going to increase Mm -hmm. up into the, you know, up into the 400s. I don't think we've ever seen 500. Maybe I'd have to go back and double check. I didn't bring that stat with me, but you know, as, as inventory increases, we're going to see sales increase because what's happening is in that price point that is 230, roughly 230,000 to 350. It is extremely, extremely competitive right now. And so we're seeing, you know, we're seeing these properties have, you know, 10, 15, 20 offers on these properties. So the buyers are coming to us and say, man, but Lance, I think the area is going to appreciate more. I know interest rates are at an all-time low. I want to lock that in now. So I do want to continue looking. How am I going to compete in that in that price point and and what does that look like so i talked to a bunch of my agents in these situations we got our listing agents around and we we took a look at things and we said well what are what are you looking for you know when when you get these 10 offers what's the what's the first thing you're looking for and just really not holding any punches back today on the show and talking about it the number one answer across the board is I'm looking for cash, you know, Mm. is I'm looking for the cash offer. Now we know in our market that that generally represents around, I don't, I talked about it a few weeks ago. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but you know, we might see that 20% of the time. So is this going to be one when, when you see it, you know, we don't know, but that's going to be really difficult to compete against. And so what happens in these situations is I said, okay, great. So you're, you're looking to pull out that cash offer. Um, what's the next thing that you and your sellers are, are looking for? Well, the next thing that we're looking for is price because there's a balancing act there that the seller goes through cash versus price. Mm-hmm. And so you, you make a judgment call it's risk reward, right? Let's say the house is listed at two seventy, and you've got an offer that is full cash close in 15 days. They have the money. Um, and so you're listed at 270 and that cash offer comes in at 270. Well, let's see, you get an offer for 275. It's pre-approved. Pre-approved and they have financing. Um, so, so they, they have to get an appraisal. So the property's going to have to appraise, but is that 5,000 worth it going through that process with the unknown? Does it appraise for the higher amount? Um, does that does that tip does that tip the scale in the favor of the cash buyer or the finance buyer? And you might say, well, gosh, Lance, I don't know. But then hmm. we get a fourth offer in, and that offers two eighty five. So now, as a seller, you're sitting there and you're like, well, I really did want to move in two to three weeks. It may be even thirty days, but. Um, if we go the finance route, we're going to have an appraisal. We're going to have a few more contingencies. But now it's like, could I wait that extra, you know, that extra 
30 days to see if it does appraise. Is $15,000 now compelling enough to to do that? So Mm. it's not always about the cash offer that doesn't have financing. The other thing that's going to weigh into that is is price and And how much more... How much more money is the seller putting into their pocket? So one of the things that that we wrote down as we were brainstorming and putting together, you know, best practices for this show. And the very first thing that I wrote down in that case is pre-approval is not an option. There might have been a day in time, your parents' time, maybe, you know, back in the day where pre-approval was an option. We'll get around to it. We'll get it over to you. That's the bare minimum. That's even to get somebody to open your email, basically, in this situation. Um, So now it's not just about that pre-approval. It's about what's in that pre-approval. I mean, when you have 10 offers, you can be really picky. (laughs) And so if we're looking at these financed offers, we're looking, number one, who's the letter from? Is it from somebody you've never heard of um, in another city? Is it from a local lender that has an amazing reputation and you've heard always closes on time? Is it from a aircraft? I won't say the specific, <laughs> the specific name for trademarks. Um, is your financing pre-approval from an aircraft? A launch pad. <laughs> and so, so, th- so these are different things that, that, that come into play. Mm-hmm. Next, is there a guarantee in that pre-approval? You're like, Lance, mm-hmm. well, what, what are you talking about a guarantee? Well, we're seeing in this competitive market, we're seeing lenders, we're seeing lenders guarantee they close the loan or they pay the seller, not the full amount of the house, but they pay the seller, say, two thousand dollars. So we're seeing pre-approvals now that says, hey, this buyer XYZ, you know, John Smith, he is approved. And if he doesn't close in 45 days, I, the lender, will pay you, Mr. Seller, $2,000. Wow. So now you've got two pre-approval letters there, and you're like thinking, oh, okay, this makes me feel a little bit better. Um, and so is there a guarantee in there? How much down do they have? Are they putting the minimum down 5% or are they putting 25% down or 30% down? Um, so is that an indication of strength of this, of this borrower? So now it's coming down to details within those pre-approval letters. Make sure you're working with a lender that Mm -hmm. is good at writing those letters. There's love letters that buyers write sellers sometimes about why, how they'll take care of the house and why they're the perfect people to have the house. But you should look at that pre-approval letter as a love letter from the person that matters the most, Mm -hmm. the guy that's going to write the check for the house at the end, the bank. And and so so there's a lot more emphasis put on some of those details than we saw even really seven months ago. Wow. And so, so those are a couple of the things that we're looking at. Now, we're coming up on our first break here, but when we come back... I'm going to talk about what's really known as, let's call them bad business practices mm. in, a, in a hot market. Now, is it bad if you get the house? Well, maybe, maybe not. And by bad, do I mean, does it put you as a buyer at risk 
or is it necessary? So welcome back to the Tri-Cities Real Estate Update. Today we've been talking about managing buyer expectations for multiple offers. And, you know, in real estate, we talk about the need for an agent uh, consultant to help you through the process. And there were a number of times this last week when I wrote down some of those keys and they, they apply in multiple situations. And one of the things we wrote down, um, shout out to some amazing past clients of, of ours is they hired me over the course of the last two weeks to help them manage uh, an online auction. They were uh, bidding on some tax uh, on some properties that were in a tax foreclosure. Mm. And it's a great way to sometimes get properties. But at the same time, just because something is a tax foreclosure auction, as we saw in this case, it doesn't always mean that it's a fantastic screaming deal. Mm. Um, and in fact, one of the things we talked about is when you're in that situation, whether you're buying in a hot market where you're going to deal with multiple offers or you're in an auction setting. One of the things that we talked about was the number one thing, and that was knowing what to bid. Know, n- knowing what you're comfortable bidding, what meets your expectations for your family mm-hmm. and your budget. Um, and then also having that budget and sticking to it. Uh, and the last part that comes into that play in that situation is remaining unemotional about that. Now, that is a very difficult thing. Whether you're down to the last three bidders in an auction that is going to expire in five minutes, or you're in a multiple offer situation with nine other offers, those same rules apply. It's funny, when I put my notes together for this week's show, I was like, those same three rules apply in both situations and have so much crossover. Mm. And so it was great to spend time with all of these couples and people looking and and putting in offers for, for these houses and kind of go back to those three basics, knowing what to bid having the budget and sticking to it, and then remaining unemotional in the process. Now, it can be very emotional right now because you come to us and you say, hey, I need to buy right now. Uh, I want to take advantage of the low interest rates. Here's the situation. Uh, There's scarcity in the market. And what that means is even as using all of the tools in our arsenal and being as good as we can possibly be, If you are a finance buyer and we're going up against a cash buyer and they're in the and they're in the exact same situation or the price is the same, regardless of what we do or how emotionally amazing our love letter is, there's going to be some properties we don't get. But part of that consultation process is being okay with that situation. So it's very, very different because if you go back two or three years ago when we would have a consult with a buyer, these were not words that were being spoken to the buyers. These were not <laughs> situations that that we were talking about. But now it's important to know and have an expectation. We might not get the first one. We might not get the third one, but we might get the sixth one and, and and knowing what that process looks like and being willing to be a participant in it with open communication um, it, it makes a big big difference in you getting the house that you feel good about at at the end of the, at the end of the day so 
like I said, a, amazing process there. And so one of the things that people ask is like, okay, well, is there any way I can compete with those cash offers and make it close? And so we're very, very lucky. We have at our disposal. And a lot of times, unless someone's with an agent, it's very rare that they'll know what this means. But we're seeing all the time now forms called increased down payment for low appraisals. And we talked about semi, I call them bad or sloppy practices before the break. But these are the risk factor increases as we look at what you're willing to do to win an offer. So this form is called increased down payment for low appraisal. Well, by the name of the form, what we've been told is that your banker does not think the house is worth the offer you put in on it. Mm -hmm. That is the gist of what that form says. And so the bank says, I'm only willing to lend X on that house. But if that's the one you have to have, Feel free to make up the difference with your own cash, but I'm not putting any more money in. Okay. And so what this form says to a seller in a competitive market is you're like, I know your property is going to go for $15,000 more than the list price based upon what I've seen the last month. And because of that... It's. I still really want to lock in these interest rates. I still really want to be in that neighborhood. So because of that, even though the bank says it's only going to be worth two sixty, I have saved up an extra fifteen thousand dollars on top of my closing costs, and so I'm going to offer you two seventy five. And if it doesn't appraise for two seventy five, and say only appraises at the two sixty. I'm going to cover the difference with my cash. So you're telling the seller that ahead of time. Because before the break, John, we talked about maybe when it gets Mm -hmm. to a $15,000 spread, the seller says, I'm willing to wait for this financed offer because that 15 grand changes my mind. You know, I know that other offer was a guarantee bird in hand, but I'm willing to, you know, roll the dice on this. And because they're even saying if it doesn't appraise, they're going to bring in the extra 15 grand. So... So there are some of those tools, you know, or arrows in our quiver, as they say, that that we like to pull out and say, is this one of the arrows you would like to use, Mr. Buyer? Is this a strategy that you would like to use to be ultra competitive in, in this market? The other thing that we're seeing more than I've ever seen in this market. I do not condone it. I do not support it. If you as a buyer tell me to write it, Gosh darn it, I'll write it. But that is waving up waving inspections. Oh we when it gets this competitive in these numbers, we start to see um we start to see offers where they have waived the inspection. And and I'm just gonna tell you, I'm much more comfortable writing a great offer for one of our buyers, especially say a first time home buyer. I'm much more comfortable writing a great offer for them and losing to a non-inspection offer versus writing a non-inspection offer and and getting and getting the property. That's the homeowner's version of the automotive as is no warranty. It, absolutely. You drive it off the lot, you sign this piece of paper, you own it as is and, no warranty and, and so so and not knowing i mean it just not knowing what could possibly be there so i tell you what sellers see those no inspection uh, boxes check 
and they do they get they get really excited and i'm i'm not i'm not blaming a seller for that there if i'm the seller in that situation i'm going to say this is this is sound this is sounding pretty good and so but if we're representing a buyer in that situation and we're working with the buyer in that situation that, that that's a scary thing and that's a lot for mm-hmm. you to take on yourself yeah and so one of the things is that i mean there could be leaks underneath that house there could be termites i mean you know I can scare people pretty dang quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is not my intention at all. Now, however, you know, if you're a buyer that has a higher risk tolerance, I'm going to do every freaking thing I can to represent you. And if you're like, Lance, I want this house, even if there is all of those things, um, just let's get it done. Then that's a strategy we are seeing. We're also seeing on top of not doing inspections, we are seeing lowering that time frame to a couple days, meaning like I don't want to hold you off the market. I don't want to jeopardize your other offers. I am going to have an inspection contingency, but I'm only I'm only going to have it for I'm only going to have it for four days. We are willing to get the inspection done and get this out of the way in four days. So there's some ways to have it not be as detrimental. Mm-hmm. And so you're balancing that risk factor. And those are the biggest things that we are seeing happen right now with managing multiple offers in this market. It's um, it, it's unprecedented. You know, obviously those numbers we were reporting at the top of the show with the low inventory are, are some of the cause of that. Um, another thing we're seeing is, you know, prices are not going down. Lumber's continuing to increase. Mm-hmm. Um, certain trades have, have rolled over to 2021 pricing. Um, companies are increasing that. And as that cost of new construction increases, the value of your resale home also increases. So yep. we're constantly monitoring that. If you have any questions about writing the best possible offer, not losing out on another house and what that looks like for you as a buyer, go to KenmoreTeam.com, shoot us a message. We would love to do a consult with you and talk about what that's looking. We're seeing, because of this, we have the advantage that we're seeing hundreds of offers um, in a month because we're getting so many of those on our listing. So before, you know, you list, you know, let's say you list, you know, you list 25, you list 30 houses in the month and you put 30 houses on the market in month. And we got, say it was amazing. We got two offers. Then I would have reviewed 60 offers on my team in that month. But right now you put 30 houses on the market. And if they're in that price range and you get 10 offers on each, on each house, 300. Okay. Yeah. Now we've, you you know, now we've reviewed, yeah, now we've reviewed 300 offers in the month. So mm. I, you know, my team and I are seeing all of these strategies. We're fine tuning those for our buyers. Um, we're helping our sellers maximize the amount they're getting. Go to KenmoreTeam.com, shoot us a message. We'd love to put these strategies to work for you. We'll be monitoring the market. I'm looking forward to talking to you next week, snow free. (laughs) And we will be right back here. Next week on News Talk 870.